0: Great, welcome to another philosophy pod, the last one of 2019. The
1: last one of the decade.
0: last one of the decade. Oh, wow. Seems Sammy funny.
1: didn't even turn up.
0: As, well, yeah. he hasn't turned up yet. Yeah, might make a triumphal entrance. Um, today we're going to have a look at environmental ethics, part one. We're going to have a look at um, meat in particular, and should we just stop eating it? Is it really killing our planet? Uh, part of this is based on a BBC documentary that aired recently, on, on the very subject. Um, so what I thought I would do is I'd very briefly introduce um, what the documentary was about, and then we're going to talk about whether we should uh, stop eating meat, and potentially, maybe even controversially, asking the question of actually whether at school, uh, whether we should uh, stop uh, or severely reduce, at any rate, the amount of meat that we produce in the school canteen. So, the BBC documentary, um, I've forgotten her surname, but it's Liz. Uh, she, she goes around various parts of the world and uh, looks at the impact that meat production has on the environment, um, and that's, that's, that's what she does. Um, she goes to many places in the United States. She starts with a cattle ranch mm. type thing in the US where there are 50,000 cows. In one of ten pens owned by one person, um, she then moves to Carolina, where they look at the effect of uh, pig waste um, on the local in the uh, environment and uh, the impact it's having on on wildlife, particularly fish, uh, creating dead zones where fish can't live, mm-hmm. um, and then. Uh, she goes to Brazil, and I think this is perhaps where I'll finish the summary. But she does other things after that. But she goes to Brazil. She goes to the Amazon rainforest, um, where she takes a flight over the Amazon rainforest, and she sees, uh, and we see, um, the the significant uh, impact that that farming beef in particular has on uh, has on the Amazon rainforest. Twenty percent. of the Amazon rainforest has been cut down just for beef consumption.
1: Apparently since 1978, over 750,000 square kilometres of rainforest has been destroyed. So a huge amount, and if the rainforest is meant to be, as they say in the documentary, the lungs of the earth, Mm. what will we do if we continue to cut down the rainforest and actually the man in charge of Brazil at the moment is encouraging people mm. to cut down the rainforest. And that's where you have the tension between we're a developed country and mm. so we've built up our agriculture, we've built up our, our economy, we're quite a stable country. Mm. Somewhere like Brazil is still working to achieve that end. And actually perhaps they the encouragement to clear the rainforest to rear cattle to make money is beneficial perhaps for those living in Brazil at that time to increase their standard of living, but it's having an impact on the environment globally. So do we have a right as a developed country to question how a developing country is affecting the environment in order to develop? I think that's one of the biggest questions and the biggest tensions that comes out of
0: Absolutely, and it's and it raises lots of questions of whether we have the right to tell Brazil what to do with their country, etc.
1: And also, what we should be considering. So, in terms of whether we think that actions are right or wrong, so should we be considering um, the immediate positive impact that cutting down the rainforest would have on those local communities? So, mm-hmm. it could drastically change someone's life. Mm-hmm. Uh, because suddenly they can feed their family and send their children to school and so that's a lot of happiness and pleasure and positivity that comes out of it but in the long term globally Mm. it might contribute to having negative impacts and so which is more important and that depends upon the principles by which you use to decide what actions are good or bad
2: Mm. and that's I think well one of the main things seems to be from people who are sort of I don't want to sort of generalise, but people who are not as supportive of environmental sort of um, ethics, often the kind of, the what turning point is, they can't really perceive the long-term negative effects. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, surely I'm going to, you know, if I cut this tree down, I can sell the wood, I've got enough money to, you know, get food, all this sort of stuff. Um, on one end of the spectrum, but also on the other end of the spectrum, it's thinking... I'm I'm very comfortable where I am now. I can't really see temperature getting hotter as a threat to that, if it's even going to happen. And because it is quite distant and it's not, we don't see the huge, we don't see the big scale, really. We just sort of hear and read tweets about it and it's quite hard to, what's the word, visualise the the sort of long-term effects that are going on whereas we can very easily perceive the short-term positives, Do you know, mm, does that make sense? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so it's like if you go into McDonald's and you get a burger, you're, you know, however much water has gone into that burger and it gives the beef burger, um, you, you, you don't really have to think about that at all, yes. all you're just thinking is, yeah, this is a nice burger, I'm going to move on with the rest of my day.
1: And also you usually look around you and you think, Well, everyone else is doing it. Mm-hmm. So if you know, surely just me giving up me or me choosing something different, that's not gonna have a big impact. Mm-hmm. And it, it goes back to that Peter Singer idea that if you're far away, a lot of the time people think that you can't empathize and therefore you can't help. That mm-hmm. actually we shouldn't have that approach just because something's far away that it doesn't mean that it no longer exists or it's no longer important that logic is kind of flawed like out of sight out of mind
0: yeah yeah peter Singer uses the analogy of like a mountain mm-hmm. like we're at the bottom and we can't see the peak because we don't know the truth but he says that as we climb the mountain we can actually see the impact we're having so we have less and less of an excuse
1: um and with the development of media, social yeah. media and news and images and, you know, yeah. we do have more and more knowledge mm. of these things um, and it's whether we actually decide mm. to look at them and act upon it or not,
2: yeah. which but look, is difficult. The fact that that documentary is on sort of primetime BBC is great because you mm. think that's going to be reaching the most amount of people, and all the sort of buzz around it. Because something, because you know, there are there are a lot of differing views on the subject, um, which just promotes discussion and a and a kind of buzz and just sort of more of an awareness, which I think is really good. Because it's quite easy just to be set in your ways. Do you know what I mean? And think mm. I can just carry on as I've as I've always done, and it's worked fine.
1: I wonder, it's this whole idea that we're... Um, I read an article about short-termism. Mm. We, like Peter Singer says, we should think about the long-term action, our long, the long-term consequences of our actions, but because we're almost so overstimulated with so many different things in one, one moment, we're so caught up with thinking about, you know, what's that person doing on their social media what am i doing in my work right now what decision do i have to make for later this evening like what there's so many different things we have to think about all at one time that we barely have the energy to think about the long term impact um and so even if we have the best intentions to maybe we're just like m- so mentally tired from having to figure out everything that's right in front of our face right now mm. that we can't think about you know mm. if i go to the toilet and then I wash my hands and I dry my hands with paper towels rather than with the hand Mm. dryer to me I've got to get back to my lesson to teach so I've got to do whatever's quickest and get out there Mm. and I'm not thinking about the long term impact of using that paper
0: Mm. yeah short term is a bit it's huge isn't it because when lives are so busy and when we you know we often don't have the we don't feel as if we have the choice don't we don't feel as if we have the choice. I mean financial constraints and all the rest of it. I mean we could all I mean if, if 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 everyone had limited unlimited money, we would probably say that, well, we could therefore either give a lot of money to make sure that Brazil doesn't need to do this or we would make sure that we could we could have the most expensive beef because it'd be British beef and we would never buy any beef that came from Brazil or anything yeah. like that. But I don't think A, people don't know it and then but B, people are making that Financial decision, um, and the impact of that. Miss um, Totsi and I were speaking yesterday about disposable nappies yeah. being another example of where um, convenience um, becomes so important, particularly at a stage in life when it's very, it's very busy. Yeah, it's very yeah. stressful and busy, and actually, your lots of people are willing to maybe forego some of the you know some of their preferences for other things, like the environment, for for ease, exactly. So it's ease, convenience. And and we're also
1: coming at this from a very privileged position. We can all afford to buy our reusable water bottles and to use the Dyson hand dryer in the bathrooms Mm. um, and to buy organic British-grown meat, or whatever Mm. we want, Um, and actually, that's really, really privileged and we perhaps should be thinking, you know, if you, if you can't afford to do that, if you're living on the poverty line or below the poverty line, you're going to buy whatever you can to feed your family. Yeah. Um, and that's, you might be caught in that cycle because you don't have the financial means to get out. Mm. But to me then, that just puts more focus on those that can afford it. Like yeah. we perhaps, to an extent we should be supporting a country like Brazil. To make decisions to help develop their country yeah. but without ruining the environment yeah but as a very wealthy nation or those within the nation that are wealthy yeah. it's more responsibility on us to make choices that ultimately do actually save you money like we were talking yeah. about nappies and it's about i think dr coxworth said in two years Two years, £2,000 spent on disposable nappies versus £200 spent on reusable nappies. Yeah. So, those sorts of changes do save us money, but as the privileged few, yeah. we should, I we mean, should but, be making those decisions. Yeah,
0: absolutely. But I think, you know, the other, but bringing it back to me, you could argue, it could, the argument could be made that actually a vegetarian diet, 9% of the time, is cheaper than a one that would include um, meat. Um. So if people are struggling financially, perhaps it's about hmm, uh, education in terms of, you know, providing people with good alternatives that are non-meat based, that will actually save them money over the long term. It's just they haven't, they haven't really thought about that potentially. Mm. Potentially, or it's, it's the fact that they still want to eat their meat. Um,
1: are you guys vegetarians?
0: I am, I'm what I would call reducetarian, which means...
1: A reducetarian, what a millennial term.
0: Thank you. Um, I take that as a compliment. Uh, uh, a reducetarian. I have heavily reduced the amount of meat that I eat. So in the evenings, I don't eat any meat. Um, but at
1: lunchtime you do?
0: At lunchtime, I will sometimes eat meat. Um, don't eat any meat for breakfast.
1: I mean, that would be slightly odd if you had a bacon sandwich every single day for breakfast.
0: True. Tom Actually, you haven't said that as you on a Friday. Tell right? <laughs> me, you a
1: vegetarian?
2: Uh, similar.
1: Or a reducitarian. I quite like that. Vegetarian. I, 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 like,
2: I quite like that term. No, um, so I, I <laughs> I'll, I'll probably maybe have meat at lunch, maybe three days a week, and then for dinner maybe two days a week out of five. Um, no meat for breakfast, which I did used to do. I used to have meat most breakfasts. Did you? Well, yeah. bacon sandwich every day. Bacon or sausage or something like that. Yeah. Oh.
1: Yeah.
2: Mm. Um, and then, yeah, so try, trying to consciously cut back, mm. but, but not, you know. Not too far. Not as much as I'd like to, in sort of ideology terms. Mm. I mean, I, I think I've,
0: you know, I think some people have come a long way because I think it used to be the case, for me in particular, that I would think about, when I was thinking about a meal, I would think about, well, what meat do I want? And then the afterthought would be, what would I have with it? Yeah.
1: So I've changed, I don't eat meat very often. No. It means I eat a lot of carbohydrates, which I don't see a problem with. But it does change your whole way of eating and planning meals totally. Mm-hmm. And you do sometimes have to be more creative. But as we're coming to the end of our talk today, mm-hmm. yeah. next time when we meet, perhaps we can start by discussing the article in The Guardian, titled, Why Do People Hate Vegans?
0: Very interesting. Really we, can interesting, interesting. we can have a look at that. I will send it to you now. Please and, do. And anyone
1: out there that wants the article, let me know, and I'll send it over. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, uh, stay tuned for that um, next time, why why people might be having a problem with vegans, and why perhaps uh, they're missing the point. Um, thank you very much for joining us in 2019. We will see you in 2020.